Think of a time when you had become angry. When some person or situation provoked you to the point that it elevated your blood pressure, your face began to feel warm, and your rising instinct was to do harm in some way, either through words or even through deeds, where you wanted to take out, to lash out in your anger in response, where you felt that the best way where you could feel relief would be to express your anger outwardly. And so, again, thinking about these times when you became angry, did you? Did you express or act out of your anger? And if you did, how did you feel about it afterward? And if you didn't, did you ever actually deal with it in some way later? Anger is as human an emotion as any other. It is not wrong in itself, but what we do with it could be. It's quite a misunderstood emotion. And rather than avoid it, we should take time to understand it better. Welcome to the Coffee House Contemplative Podcast. The other day, I walked in to see what my son was doing on his computer. And at the time, he was playing a game on the popular platform Roblox. And this particular game was called Rage Room. The idea of this game, the idea of Rage Room, is actually pretty simple. His character and others would be placed in a room. Sometimes it would look like a school classroom. Sometimes it would look like a dining hall of some kind. And there were many others, as far as I can tell. And the goal, after you are placed in this room, is to smash as much stuff as possible. Depending on the room that you're in, there may be tables, chairs, TVs, other appliances, vases, statues, windows. There are a lot of possibilities depending on the specific context of the room. And that's really all this game is. 
You're placed in a room. You break stuff. You score points for how much stuff you break. That is the whole point of Rage Room. Now, this may sound familiar to some of you, because this game is actually based on real places that are called Rage Rooms. The name might differ, depending on where you are and what's copyrighted and so on. But the idea is the same. For a price, you can go into a pre-arranged room and smash things. And again, depending on the context, depending on what's available, this may include TVs and other appliances. It may include bottles. Some rooms, depending on the place, may even let you bring in your own stuff. And from what I have seen, the places near me that offer this, there's also an option, if you don't want to go into a room and, and smash things, there's also what's called a rage painting option as well. Where again, for a fee, you are given some blank canvases and some paints, and you get to take out your anger by painting, by throwing, or violently, however violently you can really do this, throw paint onto the canvas and smear it around however your angry heart desires. There's one near me, even, that has an option to donate to a local mental health organization. And on its website, it even talks about the benefits of releasing your anger in this kind of way. And, and there are benefits to this idea. There are benefits to places like this existing. You get to let off steam, to vent your anger, express your anger in a safe contained, socially acceptable environment. Now, I mentioned socially acceptable in particular because our social perception, our overall cultural perception of anger tends to be overly negative. I would say that anger is perhaps one of the most, if not the most, socially unacceptable emotions. It's one that makes people incredibly uncomfortable when expressed outwardly. Now, some of this perception, I would say, is warranted. Uncontrolled unexamined anger can lead to destructive and abusive actions. You think of relationships where uncontrolled anger can cause fear and trauma and a feeling of a lack of safety. That's abusive. 
It destroys the psyche and the spirit of the one on the receiving end of it. Or you think about wider policies and movements and actions that are based on anger without examining the harmful implications, or even worse, not caring about the harmful implications. And that can end up doing more harm than good. That even in certain cases, that's really what they're for, is to destroy and to abuse and to enact vengeance and to instill fear in others. So anger has a well-earned reputation for being only destructive, for being only harmful, for being only meant to be repressed or tamped down or removed or ignored, that it's better to leave your anger inside, cooped up inside, because the outward expression of it so often has not led to good things. And so, this is one of the reasons why rage rooms have popped up. Because there you can express your anger without that stigma, without that embarrassment, without that social ostracization. But like all emotions, anger can have its place. And anger can have its proper expression. Think about when anger happens. Think about when you feel anger or when you have felt, when you have experienced others feeling or expressing anger. Anger often pops up when there is some kind of a perception of a threat. Sometimes this is due to a physical threat, but other times anger is a response to different kinds of threats. Threats to our, that we feel are to our values, or threats to our identity, threats to our emotions, threats to our lifestyle. When someone cuts us off in traffic, part of our anger, at least, may be due to the threat to our safety or to the safety of our fellow drivers. When someone disrespects us, or we perceive someone to have disrespected us, we may feel that as a threat to our sense of self-worth, or a threat to our standing in the wider community or communities that we're a part of. Now, we also have to acknowledge that not every threat is real. Anger, as any other emotion, is not always needed, and it's not always rational. It is a response to our perception of a threat. Whether it is rational or real or not, all in all, 
Anger is a protective response. Whether we are seeking to protect ourselves or to protect others. Years ago, there was a book that came out called The Angry Christian by Andrew Lester. And one of the main points that Lester wants to make in this book, he, he coins a phrase, anger in the service of love. I'll repeat that. Anger in the service of love. He is an advocate for this kind of anger. This is the passionate kind of anger that motivates people to fight for a good cause, to pursue justice. That, to him, is a good kind of anger. An anger as a proper protective response of ourselves or others. It is anger that is made, that makes use, that, that wishes to be protective, that wishes to serve others. Some people, we often, we more, much more often hear the term righteous anger, but it's pretty much the same idea. This episode is being recorded and released on the weekend of Martin Luther King Day, and it's somewhat fitting because, well, I'll tell you why. First of all, most know, if, if they're familiar with any of Martin Luther King's words, most may think of I Have a Dream first. That great speech, that soaring speech about a vision of equality delivered on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. And it's often quoted for its eloquence. It's quoted for its incredible vision. But also sometimes, I would say, it's quoted also because it tends to be more tranquil and non-threatening than many of his other writings and speeches. I would say Martin Luther King had a certain channeled anger that undergirded a lot of what he said and did. He had an anger in the service of love. It was an anger at inequality, an anger at racial inequality, an anger at economic inequality. If you were to read something other than I have a dream. If you picked up, for instance, his letter from a Birmingham jail, you would read, he actually expresses, he plainly states his disappointment with white moderates who wouldn't pick a side in the battle for equality that he and other leaders of the time were putting on. He would say he, he wishes people would get off the fence and to do the work toward this pursuit 
of greater equality and justice for all people. There was a certain anger, there is a certain anger in that letter that pervades it. Another quote that has come to light quite often in recent years in particular is his observation that a riot is the language of the unheard. If you can't do things in a civil manner, if people readily dismiss your concerns that you bring through the proper channels in the nice ways that people like, and you're still not heard, he said, well then, those unheard take to the streets. An anger in the service of better outcomes. This is what Martin Luther King had as part of what he did. And of course, others found that threatening. People then in his time, but many even now, want that anger to go away because that anger forces them to face what is still happening. Anger of this kind is appropriate and necessary. This anger in the service of love goes toward the elimination of what threatens life. do two quick Bible studies with you on the subject of anger. Just two. There are are many others that, that we could look at, but for the purposes of time and so on, I'll just focus on two. The first one we read in what is often called Jesus's Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 21-26. And I'll read just a few verses from this passage, but the entire thing will be linked in the notes to this episode. So here Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. And again, you can read the rest of that yourself. One of the questions 
that this passage invites is, is Jesus forbidding us from ever being angry? In some Christian circles, this is one of those texts that may be used to for our own forbidding of ever expressing anger in any way. After all, it said, Jesus says right there, if you're angry with a brother or sister, you'll be liable to judgment. Going beyond, you shall not murder, you shall not commit these outward acts, but instead, if you even feel anger, you'll be liable to judgment. Is that really what Jesus is saying? Is he really forbidding us from ever feeling this natural emotion? In response to that question, I'll say two things. The first is that this passage is part of a larger set of teachings where Jesus goes through some of these different commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, and so on. And he is broadening them. Where he's calling for a transformation, not just of how we treat other people, but of how we view them. It's not enough to just avoid murdering someone. But instead, we should be about the work of examining our attitudes toward them as well. How we see them. Do we see them only as an adversary, or are we still capable of seeing them as a fellow, fully enfleshed, child, beloved of God? The second thing I want to say about this passage is that the particular word for angry, the Greek word for angry, has its root in a word that connotes an intent to punish or an intent to actively do harm. The rest of this passage, after, after, after he talks about you can't even say you'll, you fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire, he goes on to say, if you're taking someone to court, reconcile with them beforehand. If you are making an offering in the temple, but you have something against someone else, leave your offering there, he says, go back, reconcile to the person that you are angry at or, or wish to inflict some sort of harm on, and then come back and complete making your offering. In other words, resolve your anger without punishing actions, without even the intent to inflict punishment or vengeance. Instead, resolve the relationship. Reconcile with the other. It's not enough to not murder someone. It's also about not wanting to murder someone. Not wanting to do another harm. That is anger, but it's not anger in the service of love.
that kind of anger needs reconciliation, is what Jesus is saying. The second passage that I wish to deal with briefly is from the letter of James, chapter 1, verses 14 through 24. And again, the entire passage will be quoted in the episode notes. But I'll just quote again another snippet. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. For your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness, and welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. Again, the word for anger in this passage refers to a violent sort of anger. The type of anger that seeks vengeance, that seeks punishment, that seeks to do harm to someone else. And the author of this letter is saying, be slow to act on your anger in such a way. Find other ways to express yourself. Instead, act out of a sense of humility. Be slow to anger. Not, it must be said, he's not saying don't feel anger. But instead, be slow to act out of it in ways that will do harm. Be in the service of love instead, according to what God wishes for us as individuals and as a community. Anger has a time and a place and a healthy expression. I observed earlier, during the last segment, that anger is not always rational. And recognizing that is the first step in properly dealing with it. The first step when feeling anger, is to discern the true source of it. We may ask the question, what feels threatened? Is it our own ego? Is it our anxiety? Is it some other memory or issue that has nothing really to do with the issue at hand, the thing that we think we're angry about is not actually the issue that is causing this to bubble up within us. As a pastor, I would frequently encounter the anger of others about some decision I had made, and sometimes decisions I hadn't made, or about some other program or ministry that, that, that was happening in and around the church, I would encounter that anger. And one of the things that I would always say in response, when I would try to figure out what was going on, I would often say, this isn't about that. In other words, 
the anger that I would receive wasn't really about the presenting issue. People weren't really that upset. People weren't really angry about the tablecloths that they said they were angry about. Instead, much more often, it was something else. Something else going on in the church, something else going on in their own lives. But the tablecloths would be their chance to finally express that anger in some outward way. So what really was the anger about? This is the question. What is the real sense of threat going on here? What is the true source of this anger? That's the first thing, the first question to ask when discerning this anger. The second is discerning when anger is truly warranted. Is this the proper thing to be angry about? Or is this the proper thing to express outwardly anger about? Sometimes the follow-up question, the best follow-up question might be, is it time to pay a visit to a rage room for a little while? Or, is there some way to better express or to channel this anger so that it may be in the service of love? Maybe to seek greater equality. Maybe to forego anger or intent to harm, intent to punish in favor of reconciliation. Anger has a time and a place, but it is very necessary to reflect on when and where that time and place is. Thank you for listening to the Coffeehouse Contemplative Podcast. I'm Jeff Nelson. You can find more about my writing, including my four books, at jeffreyanelson.com. I'm also on social media, facebook.com slash revjeffnelson, and I'm at boldroastrev on both Twitter and Instagram. Have a great week.